Well, welcome to the Being a Dad on Purpose podcast. I am your host, Bobby Benavides, and I am here with Dr. Adam Starks, a good friend of mine from um, living in Philippi, West Virginia. Uh, done some great work in, um, you know, just uh, he's been a huge supporter of mine for a long time, and I am a huge supporter of his. Uh, and he's just he's just a really great dude. And so, anyway, I'm glad to have him on the show. Dr. Adam Starks is a former foster child and author of Broken Child, Mended Man, an autobiography. Uh, Dr. Starks and his siblings grew up in abject poverty in rural Virginia. However, Adam's story is not your typical account of a foster child who went on to beat the odds. Dr. Starks went on to study business administration at Eastern Mennonite University, earned an MBA at Strayer University, and a PhD in organizational leadership from Capella University. Dr. Starks has an important message to share with foster parents, foster care professionals, and educators. Don't ever give up on us. Dr. Starks believes his positive foster care experience and the adult outcome can be replicated when foster parents, social workers, and educators understand the intricacies and importance of their roles, raising healthy foster youth, and preparing them for adulthood. It also delivers a powerful personal message to current foster youth preparing for emancipation by instilling a message of embracing community and self-discovery. So I'm going to be putting his information in the show notes because, uh, man, he's a great speaker, great educator. Like he, he speaks into some great stuff. And his book, Love Will Find Your Home, is a fantastic book to read for kids to understand the foster care system for you to understand it and for you to understand the value of it. So all that to introduce and to welcome Dr. Adam Starks to our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm glad to be here and grateful to uh, have your friendship, as you mentioned, and uh, your support. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have you on uh, this podcast because, you know, we have dads from all walks of life that are on this show. Uh, that listen to this show, that are part of our group on Facebook, that um, you know engage with us on all social media, and so you know it's great to to have this kind of voice on because I know that there are dads um, who are who have gone through the system as well, who have gone through foster care system, who have been foster parents, and so understanding the intricacies of it all, I do not right. I, I've never I've never dealt with that. I've never been a part of it. Um, you know, I've, I've met many children who've been a part of it and I've met many adults who've been a part of it. Um, and so what I'm hoping to do today is just to hear you a little bit more about your story, talk a little bit about more, more about this book, uh, Level Finder Home, and then also just talk about how it's, um, how being a part of the foster system has influenced your fatherhood and how it can, um, how you can empower and equip new dads or dads who are considering the foster care system, you know, yeah. what that, what that means. So I think it's going to be great today. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I uh, grew up in uh, rural Virginia, um, live in Barber County now, but uh, there's a lot of similarities there um, in terms of, uh, you know, a lot of people when you think of poverty, uh, most most people think of the urban setting and there's a lot of, uh, or there used to be a lot of overlooked um, rural uh, poverty um, issues. Um, that are coming to light now. And uh, thankfully, uh, those issues are being addressed, um, whether it's through food or, um, you know, having uh, uh, laundry uh, stations at schools um, and uh, deodorant and and things of that nature. Things that you wouldn't think of, you know, that would keep a kid out of school. And 
Um, I, I mentioned school because that was really my saving grace. Uh, my other book, Broken Child, Mended Man, my autobiography that I published in 2014, um, highlights how education was my saving grace. Um, going to school uh, day in and day out, once I finally got into the foster care system, um, that was what allowed me to escape the cycle. And what what typically happens, um, I, I call myself one of the three percenters because when I graduated high school in 1999, um, the success rate for foster children who went on to graduate college or uh, find a job and become self-sustaining was about 3%. Mm-hmm. Um, that number still holds true today. And so, you know, there's quite a bit of work to be done um, when you think about 400,000 students in the system, uh, of foster care kids in the system, only about 12,000 make it to become self-sustaining. Um, the other options are uh, continuing the cycle, incarceration, homelessness, uh, teen pregnancy, so on and so forth. So there's a lot of um, issues uh, that um, have to be addressed uh, from a societal standpoint. It can't just be, you know, one foster parent or um, just uh, one, you know, community or, or so on and so forth. It's an American society. And so that's why I bunch all 400,000 of those kids in there. And so what typically happens uh, is they get uh, caught up in the juvenile justice system, which is a serious issue here in West Virginia that's largely overlooked. And uh, that sets them up for a, a lifetime of, you know, recidivism uh, in and out of prison. And that's a cycle that we absolutely need to stop. And I, I mentioned that because that could have been me. You know, I, I could have been a victim of that cycle if the society had given up on me or, or if my foster mother had given up on me. Um, so thankfully that didn't happen. So now <laughs> I mentioned that. Getting back to my story, um, I started out in California, uh, Burbank, California. So if you can imagine the, the palm trees and the, the, the sidewalk and the, the apartments and, and things of that nature, um, we were evicted from that apartment when I was uh, about five, five or six years old, and we moved out to Virginia. And that wouldn't have been such a big thing, but it was just an incredible culture shock for me. I mean, you go from palm trees in Hollywood squares to chickens and cows, which I've never seen before. You know, <laughs> I, I'd eaten them, you know, <laughs> you know, at McDonald's, you know, my cheeseburgers and chicken nuggets, but to sit there and be face to face with them and getting chased all over the farm, that was a different story. All right. So you go from indoor plumbing to what I had was an outhouse. Um, we had uh, holes uh, that were in the side of our home and brutal winters. I mean, for me, now that I've lived in West Virginia, you know, I've gotten used to the cold. I'll go outside in a short sleeve shirt or, you know, go to the car or whatever. But coming from California and experiencing that first winter with, uh, you know, holes in the side of your house and having to use an outhouse, which seemed like a mile away with my little five-year-old legs, um, that was a completely different story and something that I just, I really never got used to. I never really got used to the farm life, you know, picking, uh, picking up chicken eggs and, um, uh, picking berries and, you know, whatever we could to, um, survive. And uh, w- one of the things, um, 
when I started when I started school, it was me and uh, two brothers, and then an, another child, uh, another brother of mine came along, um, uh, Moses. So it was me, Matthew, uh, not Matthew. I'm sorry, Moses, Christopher, and Noah, and they were younger than me. And for some reason, I picked up that nurturing habit that if I was hungry, they certainly had to be hungry. And when I started the school, that was really my saving grace because in kindergarten, I picked up early on that people were throwing away food or they just weren't eating it. And I said, well, you know, I, I can take that home. And so I would stuff um, uh, green beans, chicken nuggets, hush puppies, whatever was left, um, even pizza in, in these uh, little pockets that I have. And I have my book here. I want to show people um, that little uh, shell outfit. So the little pockets up there. I love this outfit, not because it was cool or my first dream was being a race car driver, which it was. A lot of people don't know that, but <laughs> obviously I didn't make it to that point. Uh, but it had pockets. It had multiple pockets um, and I could stuff more food in there, um, even though it was well way too small for me. That, that was a uh, picture from my kindergarten year. I wore that outfit until I was in second grade. And so, you know, this is thing, it's inches too short for me, but I could stuff food in it. And um, that's what allowed us to survive. And so I would empty my pockets out, you know, on the table and we would just grub. And that was the, the, the highlight of uh, our day growing up. Um, I won't delve too far into that, but I, I will fast forward to uh, when I was eight years old and we were intercepted at school by social services. Um, at that point, um, I was missing two of my brothers. My brother Noah, uh, he went went on with me to that first foster home. And then my brother Christopher and Moses were split up into two other homes. However, I was never I, I never knew what happened to them until uh, much later on. Um, for all I knew, they were locked in a cage somewhere. And I blamed myself for the longest time because what, uh, what uh, the social worker told me was that we were going to movies. And I ended up at this, um, uh, this uh, white, uh, white home. And I say that because that, that will play a part in my story here in a little bit. So this white foster home, these people are as nice as can be, um, but I don't know them. And I'm missing my brothers and I'm wondering what happened, what did I do wrong and how can I get us back together? That was all that was going through my mind. Even though, you know, I had my, my own bed for the first time, I had um, uh, three square meals uh, for the first time in my life. Um, all of these emotions were playing through, uh, through my head and so I, I was supposed to, you know, just go along with it. And, you know, we're still in Rappahannock County where I grew up and we, you know, it, it's just supposed to go. So kids are just supposed to, you know, everything, you know, all my belongings, everything is just tossed to the side. And now I'm supposed to start this brand new life and go to school like nothing had ever happened. And so, um, you know, I think for most kids, we are resilient, but I think grownups underestimate just how much kids can understand and handle. And so going back, what I typically tell people in my speeches, especially social workers, is 
talk to the kid, talk them through the process so they're not so scared. And so they will eventually understand that this was the best route for them. I mean, of course, as an adult, I understood that looking back, but at the time it was another unnecessary traumatizing experience because what I was going through as bad as it was, that was my normal. And I knew I could depend on seeing my brothers. I knew I could um, depend on um, seeing my mother, even though she wasn't taking very good care of us because she couldn't. It wasn't necessarily by choice. Um, she was addicted to alcohol. Uh, she had unchecked uh, paranoid schizophrenia. And, and so even though she loved us, there was no way she could really take care of us the way that we needed to be taken care of. And so that that's when social services steps in, you know, as society's eye protector of children, um, they're supposed to put us in a better position so we can succeed later in life. At least that's the way it's supposed to go. It doesn't always uh, happen that way, but um, in my case it did. And so moving forward, um, you know, this white foster family, they were trying to take care of me. And uh, of course, you know, it's the uh, late 80s, um, late 80s to early 90s. Uh, Hip hop is coming onto the scene and, you know, I'm this country bumpkin <laughs> with this, <laughs> with these, uh, you know, tight clothes on and, uh, you know, smelling kind of funky and just kind of just all around different. You know, I've always been, I'm still to this day socially awkward, but, you know, and that started really early on. And, um, and so they move us uh, out of Rappahannock County to this uh, predominantly black school in the neighboring Culpeper County. And that's where I had a target on my back. And uh, those kids just tortured me day in and day out. And really the only thing I learned in fifth grade uh, was to grow a set of eyes in the back of my head. And I mentioned that because up until third grade, um, I had missed 150 days of school. This was before truancy laws and all that stuff where they can, uh, you know, schools can capture, capture kids and, um, make sure that they get back into education and don't get so far behind the curve like I did. All right. So you, you tack that on and then you tack on fifth grade. And so by the time I reach um, uh, our fifth grade, I'm sorry, by the time I reach sixth grade, I'm so far behind the curve that it's almost impossible to catch up by that point. And now typically kids will between sixth grade all the way up to ninth grade, that, that's when uh, many start dropping out statistically uh it's right around ninth grade and that's that, that was really for me that uh, a coming coming of age moment which i'll get to in just a moment but i had to leave that white foster family um if i was going to survive and social services realized that they they realized that i could not be in that environment it wasn't them but that school system itself uh those kids were going to kill me if I stayed there any longer. And it, it's terrible. It's terrible to say, but everything from getting pushed down a flight of steps to, you know, getting uh, my head bashed up against uh, urinals and, and things of that nature. I just wasn't going to survive it physically and emotionally and mentally. I was already just done with all of it. So they moved me back to Rappahannock with a black family. I reconnected with my brother, Chris, and Noah was still with me too. So things were, of course, looking better. Um, unfortunately, I had 
a lot of built up anger issues that just, you know, hadn't been dealt with. And, you know, I, I was in, in and out of therapy, but I really didn't trust therapists. And, and so there, there was a, a disconnect there. And finally, I was just acting out in school to the point where I almost failed with um, the ninth grade. And that's where my foster mother had that come to Jesus moment with me. You know, if I didn't pass, I was going to go into a juvenile, uh, you know, into a, a juvenile prison. And that scared me. That was my scared straight moment, um, you know, because if she gave up on me, there was no one else left. And so I, I managed to um, get my life straightened out. And, uh, you know, discover track and field, um, you know, to gain some self-esteem. That that was my outlet, so to speak, along with writing. Um, I got my grades up. I had a track coach talking to me about college. You know, I was the first one in my family to go. And so, you know, things were looking really, really good for me. And then, uh, you know, I graduated high school. Um, I was homeless for a little bit, uh, which was a incredibly unique experience, which I... I do talk about um, in my autobiography, but I won't touch on it here, but just know that that's an incredibly scary situation. It's incredibly different than going uh, through the foster care system because, you know, I thought I was over that survival mode and all of those emotions and all that stuff came back, you know, to haunt me. Um, uh, through that uh, two weeks. So finally, another family takes me in. Um, I, uh, they helped me make it through college, and here I am uh, raising my own children. And uh, you had touched uh, on that a little bit, wanting um, some uh, advice. My, you know, growing up, I didn't have a lot of father figures, a real, real father figures. So they were all on TV. Uh, so you think about you know, Silver Spoon, uh, Fresh Prince, um, you know, Cosby uh, before, you know, he was a monster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the, good, the show itself was, uh, you know, inspirational um, in terms of fatherhood. And so that provided the model uh, that I use today. And, it, you know, am I perfect? Uh, absolutely not. There's a lot of things um, I've been uh, significantly humbled uh, through this virtual learning <laughs> process that we've been through over the years. So, uh, you know, I, I thought I had second grade down, but, you know, <laughs> to my daughter, maybe not. <laughs> so, and then, you know, I'm trying to uh, manage a seventh grader and a 10th grader in there as well. And so it it is incredibly challenging. And I, I know uh, parents, uh, have been uh, challenged as, as well as children. And for me, I think the advantage for me is I still think uh, I never forgot what it felt like to be a child or, or like what it, a lot of adults grow, grow into this role and, you know, it, it's natural to want to emulate your parents. You know, if, for example, if they spanked you or smacked your head or something like that, you do that to your kids and so on and so forth. So for me, I felt like I had to break that cycle again um, because I, I'm a, uh, you've been around me. I'm a pretty big guy. <laughs> I can't, I can't be intimidating. And, um, you know, and when I say intimidating, I mean, towards a small child. Now, mm -hmm. you, know, you look at how big my hands are. I shouldn't be hitting a small child with those hands. Um, and that it's as simple as that for me. Um, you know, and I know there's a, a big debate on spanking and things like that, but for me, 
I I try to treat my children as I would like to be treated. I always wanted to understand the why when I was a child. And, you know, parents would, you know, or foster parents would say, you know, don't backtalk me, don't ask questions, just do what I say. And that never sat well with me. And so I explained the why to my children. Now, do they always listen first try? No, <laughs> because they're kids and that's what, that's what kids do. But they understand why things have to be the way that they are, why, the, why there has to be boundaries and um, rules and why you have to wash dishes. You know, you've watched that episode of Hoarders how many times, you know, we can't live like that and be in this house and, and you know, so on and so forth. And so uh, there were some good habits instilled in me uh, from my foster parents. Um, and I thank them for that in terms of, you know, how to clean my house, how to take care of myself, how to cook. And, and um, you know, just be an all around decent person and help others when you can. Um, so they they were able to give me that. And that's those are traits that I'm trying to pass to my children. And, you know, as a result, uh, they are they they are excellent. So they they get to see a role model in me, but they also get to see a role model in their mother. You know, we've been together almost 20 years and. Uh, you know, uh, they, they get to see, you know, how we operate and the rewards, the consequences and, uh, you know, the so on, you know, as life goes. But they're sheltered from a lot of what I had, you know, what I had to go through, which is a good thing in, in some aspects and, and in others, it it, it makes me um, worry about their their resilience. You know, will, will they be able to uh, overcome hardships. And I say that because one of the things that um, inspired me to write my book was um, a book called Love by Leo Biscaglia. And I, well, the opening chapter, you know, it talks about a, a girl that grew up in the nuclear family and she went on to, to go to college and she um, earned her first B. And she, she never earned a B in her life. And she committed suicide as a result. And, you know, I'm just sitting there, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, that's the hardest thing she ever went through. And, you know, I, I attempted suicide myself, but I was at the end of my rope from everything that had happened in my life. You know, what was going through this young woman's head to make her take her own life? And, and something just happened, you know, every time I turned on the news, every time I was on social media, it looked like a young person was committing suicide. I thought, you know, I, I think there's some lessons there about resilience, you know, especially for my life. You know, if I and if I can help someone with my story, you know, I'm going to do that. And, and it was just time. And so I, I took about it took about 10 months. Um, but if you had asked me, you know, when I was that little country um, boy from Podunk, Virginia, if I would <laughs> write a hundred thousand page book. Um, about my life, I would have laughed at you because one, I couldn't string, you know, 10 sentences together, much less, um, you know, I, a multi, multi-chapter, um, you know, tens of thousands of words and <laughs> books. Yeah. So, yeah. But, um, I, I think, I hope I answered all of your questions that you <laughs> Uh, right there at the beginning and i know i can get long-winded so <laughs> no, no i loved it i was just like i was like i'm gonna just let him go man this is awesome like this story is great and um you know i think honestly like that's that's it right it's like you you've went through a lot in the system the system that you know uh, 
I mean, it's for many kids, like you were saying, that that there's a large group that will not go on. There will be a generational thing that just keeps going and going and going. And and we have to figure out a way to get that get that curved, you know, and and, and shifted. Um, so yeah, we have to find a way to speak into that, and we have to find a way to to address that. But when it comes to that three percent, like what what caused that? And you shared like you you found ways to keep pushing forward and you had people in your life who continue to guide you to push forward and now you're watching your kids grow up and you are trying to push them in the right direction and you're pushing forward with them and i think that's the message we want to send to dads right is that they it, dads that have been through the system look you it doesn't stop it like it doesn't have to just stop there like you're like that and i think that's that's your story and that's what i love about that is that the story doesn't have to stop at the system. Like you can push beyond it, but you have to see that there's a way beyond it. But then for the dads who are going to be raising foster children, they have to see that they're not just there for a moment, right? Like they, like even, or even if they are there for just a split second, even if they are there for just a moment, they can still be instilling something into the life of that child to where they see another Dr. Adam starts come out, right? It's like, and I think that's that's what I wanted people to grab onto. That's what I wanted your story to tell, and that's what and that's what you conveyed so well um, here. Is that you know a lot of stuff, and but ultimately, it's resiliency. It's pushing forward, and and so I thank you for sharing your story. I thank you for all you're doing to raise awareness and to 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 share what's gone on and, and how how we can be involved in in making lives better for children in the system, and then also pushing forward. Absolutely. Thank you. So again, um, love will find your home. Um, I'm, I'm going to give a little disclaimer though with this book because when I read it, I was like, "Whoa, oh!" Like, like I was reading, it, like, this is so like it was. It's it's raw and real. Like, I mean, like, and for a children's book, it's raw and real, and I think that that's what I appreciate about it. I mean, when you're when you're seeing real situations that these kids are going through. And then to see like, look, this is going to be where love, love takes you to, you can find a good home. You can find the right place. So love your, will find your home, but Dr. Adam Starks, you need to uh, check out this book. I'll be putting a link in the show, show notes for the, uh, for a way to purchase it on Amazon because they can get on Amazon, correct? Absolutely. All right. Um, where all online books are sold. All right. Anywhere online books are sold. So I will be putting a link for this book. Um, and then also, um, you know, I'll be putting his information around how to connect with him to, for speaking opportunities because his story is a great one. This is just a glimpse into it. So if you are a dad that has connection with people who will be find value in his story, uh, reach out to uh, Dr. Starks because he will be, it'll be great to have him on. Um, and, you know, I know you as Adam, but I, for, for the show, I am calling you Dr. Starks because seriously, oh, I'm putting, I am, I am, I am putting, I am putting respect on your name because, uh, <laughs> Because it has to be there, man. It has to be there because you you have you've shown this is you've shown that this is this is what what it's like to push forward. Like you and and I'm and I'm I'm and I, I know it sounds weird, but I'm gonna say it. It's like, dude, I am I'm proud of you. Like seriously, like I'm I'm honored to call you friend. I am honored to to, to be able to have you on the show. I'm honored to to be connected with 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 you and just who you are as a person. Um, and just your heart for for seeing, uh, for believing in in great things. Like that's that's what I see in you, and I and I and I see it all the time. And and so um, so again, I thank you for coming on. I thank you for your story. 
I thank you for sharing your story. And I thank you for just being a dad on purpose because that's really what it's all about. Absolutely. Well, again, uh, thank you uh, for having me on and, um, you know, let's, let's keep it going. And um, I, I do have a follow-up coming out to that book and um, I have some uh, gigs uh, coming, speaking gigs coming up throughout the state. So check out adamstarts.com all right, uh, for more information. Awesome. Well, again, that'll be in our show notes as well, adamstarts.com. So all this information will be in our show notes. So check that out. But again, hey, um, again, Dr. Starks, thank you for joining us and thank you for listening. Um, and if you've liked what you've heard, if you've enjoyed this story and you've been, and you've been enjoyed just the, the, the whole concept of being a dad on purpose, like this podcast, share this podcast, rate this podcast, do what you got to do, comment on it. Um, let us know what you liked about it. Uh, because again, for dads out there, we, we aren't here to make us be the best dads in the world. We're just trying to be the best dads for our kids right now. So thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you later. Bye. So in this episode, um, you were able to listen to that interview between me and Adam Starks, Dr. Adam Starks. Um, such a great story, powerful message. You may have noticed that I was pretty quiet. I didn't say anything very much anyway. Um, like most other interviews, I do have something to add. I do, but I think in this one, I had to listen. It was a powerful story. And I encourage you to read the book uh, that I um, that recommended. I also encourage you to read his autobiography, which is in the show notes. Um, but again, it's it's important to hear the stories. Important for us to listen. Uh, we may just think that we understand the system. We may think that we, you know, maybe we um, are wondering whether or not we uh, could actually you know, even come close to understanding the system. I don't know. Um, but in this one, I felt like I just needed to listen. And so thank you, Dr. Starks, for sharing your story. Thank you for everything in that. And I hope that we were able to listen and um, engage with it. So again, if you are liking what you're hearing in this podcast, it really does help when you take time to like it, share it, comment, um, because obviously when other people see that it's rated high, they are going to listen. And the more people listening, it means the more possibility of growing this thing. So uh, thank you for all who do engage with this. Thank you for all who are listening. I appreciate it. So with that, uh, continue being great dads on purpose, right? For your kids right now. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.